0: Welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I am David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and today I'm speaking with Arlene Davila, author of Latinos Inc: The Marketing and Making of a People, published by the University of California Press in 2001 and recently re-released in 2012 with an updated preface and forward. Dr. Davila is a full professor of anthropology. Welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I am David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel. And today I'm speaking with Arlene Davila, author of Latinos, Inc., The Marketing and Making of a People, published by the University of California Press in 2001 and recently re-released in 2012 with an updated preface and forward. Dr. Davila is a full professor of anthropology at New York University. Her research interests include comparative race and ethnic studies, media studies, political economy, globalization, visual culture, Urban Studies, and Latinos in the U.S. Professor Davila has written extensively on cultural politics, marketing to Latinos, public representations of Latinos, and the Latinization of the United States. Her books include Sponsored Identities, Cultural Politics in Puerto Rico, published in 1997, Latinos Inc., which will be our conversation today, initially published in 2001, Barrio Dreams, Puerto Ricans, Latinos, and the Neoliberal City, that was published in 2004. And Latino Spin, Public Image and the Whitewashing of Race, which was published in 2008. Well, hello, Arlene, and welcome to New Books in Latino Studies.
1: Um, hello. Excited to be here.
0: Well, me too. I'm excited you're on the channel. I've been waiting for this uh, conversation for quite a while, and I was wondering if you could uh, begin our discussion today by just telling us a little bit about, you know, your background and, you know, your, your pathway to becoming uh, an academic.
1: Um, yes, of course. Um, I'm a proud of uh, Puerto Rican yeah, and I came here to do my studies and I was actually working um in, in the arts, in Latino arts. <laughs> In, in the late 1990s uh, in Museo del Barrio, the Museum of Contemporary Hispanic Art um, and which no longer exists. It was an incredible institution but I, I joined a PhD in Anthropology to do an AED with the idea that I would be I would get more money in the arts really as an administrator. Mm-hmm. This was back when CUNY had um, open admission, allowed non-matriculated students to take classes with PhD students. And
2: mm. I looked
1: at that time you know what a great opportunity because you know there were a lot of people in my position that didn't necessarily want to be in academia but had the opportunity and many of us did turn into academia that way and it was a very diverse base and, and that opportunity is no longer available um i see how phd programs have become so professionalized and and that's the big problem i feel because it's really limits who can access them, but but it was um, that's how uh, all of a sudden um, uh, I was beaten by the academic bug because I felt that through uh, my courses, I was beginning to see my cultural work in these institutions more critically, specifically because I was working in the midst of multiculturalism and a lot of the identity politics in the arts were kind of, it was a very interesting space to be working in the arts and also mm-hmm. be taking classes in topology. So that's how it all started. Um, Then all of a sudden I just, I got a grant to do my my first uh, dissertation and I continued and that's how it all started. But it is not because I wanted to be a professional scholar and I still Uh. don't think of myself that way and I tell my students, you know, uh, it's okay if you don't, you know, I I think it's important to to not say, not take academia too seriously sometimes, I think we do. Um, but anyways that's
0: another conversation. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing with that, and I I agree wholly. I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, as the profession becomes um, increasingly, uh, I think, um, you know, not just professionalized, but in that you know, specialized, um, it, it there's the potential that, as you you bring up, we can become a little disconnected. I think from um, those outside of the academic world. Uh, earlier, we were kind of talking about writing, uh, but off air. And and, and that's I think just one example at times our our writing or maybe our topical interest can can become so minute uh, uh, that it it may seem harder to the broader public to really you know connect the dots and, and see applications or connections outside of, uh, of our field
1: you have to always be involved with communities and with the pulse of everyday life you know mm-hmm. um, and that's it's such a rich, um, a rich space in which to be working
0: today. Right. And so that's, uh, how, you mentioned the, uh, the working on your dissertation. Is, is that how Latinos, Inc. began? Was this part of your dissertation yeah. project?
1: Absolutely, because, you know, when I was working on sponsor identities, you know, um, you know, there's a chapter there that's called uh, Marketing and Making National Identities because what to me was so surprising is that the Puerto Rican who grew up in Puerto Rico in the 70s in the midst of this political persecution, where, you know, there was, it was not okay or popular to, be, to, to, to claim Puerto Rican pride because it was seen as a sign of independence, or nationalism that was persecuted. And then to return in the 90s and kind of see, you know, when I was doing my dissertation, to see how all of a sudden puerto Rican culture was was hot was popular you know right. and and, mm-hmm. there were, and there were festivals and there was this a a right at the local level. And, um, and I began to realize that a lot of that was fueled by, um, you know, marketing campaigns, you know, um, that were really, um, at the time, you know, providing a space for cultural groups to, to, to organize around different versions of Puerto Rican identity. And, and surprisingly, a lot of those campaigns were um, developed by nationalistas who couldn't get jobs in the government, so they just they were doing this to the private sector, and all of a sudden popularizing Puerto Rican identity, you know? Mm. And I, I was. Yeah, you know, wow, I wonder if the same thing is, not, is happening in the context of the United States with Latinos. And, uh, and I was very curious because this is also the moment of the Latin boom in the late 1990s. When well, you have, you know, J-Lo and Ricky Martin and, you know, hey. and the whole, right? And then in, in scholarship, a lot of people were talking about cultural citizenship and kind of like a lot of boosterism around the combination of Latinos through mm. cultural in, in cultural and symbolic spaces, and and I wanted to explore that, but also I always had a, some skepticism that, you know, that a lot of what I was seeing was more buzz than reality. But I um, but I knew that, this, that that marketing would be an interesting space because it was in Puerto Rico, um, and, of course, you know, it had to be even more so in, 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 in the United States. What I didn't know is whether I could
2: access it,
1: you know, because when you think right. about Hispanic marketing, Latino marketing—it's like a nationwide industry. How would you access it, right? Right. Um. My surprise, you know, it was just a matter of a couple phone calls. You know, the red book that listed all the advertising agencies had a small section on Hispanic marketing agencies. Many of them in New York City, and I just picked up the phone, and, and a couple people didn't respond my calls, but mm-hmm. but one person did, and she kind of opened up. I'm like, wow, what a great idea, and uh, and I was immediately. Uh, I had immediate access so there was a lot of interest from them because they felt that they wanted to be validated right they were doing. and also this is the made this is also at the same time that the Association of Hispanic advertising agencies was coming to must be coming coming into being so there were a lot of opportunities for for following that conference and meeting a lot of the other um, advertisement people in marketing nationwide because people were getting together um through conferences, um, through this new space, professional space. So so yeah, but it all started from from that one chapter in sponsor identities, looking at wow. the role of marketers in uh, fueling Puerto Rican identity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: And you, you mentioned how, um, you know, the book kind of begins with uh, establishing the basis of the Hispanic marketing and advertising industry and uh, a real key component. And maybe you can you can correct me, but maybe the primary argument of the book is, you know, the role of, of those people, of those within the Hispanic marketing and advertising industry in shaping public perceptions, you know, actually right, the, the, the strong influence they have in those public rep, uh, prep, uh, perceptions and representations of what constitutes Latino identity and culture. So could you talk uh, a bit about, uh, you know, those people, you know, those that were involved in the establishment of a Hispanic marketing industry, uh, what were some of their motivations and particularly what's been their enduring influence on how we even now, you know, the, the public, the people outside of that marketing mm-hmm. intelligentsia, right, um, vision and understand what Latino culture is?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, yeah, um, the, the Cuban, the Cuban contingent. You know, um, it was it's fascinating to see how these you know global industries you know have you know founders and pioneers and you know oftentimes are you know are born serendipitously. But but in the case of Hispanic marketing. You know, it could be traced to, you know, these Cuban pioneers, many of whom had contacts with corporate America back in Cuba, uh, because they worked more or less in that industry. Uh, it's important to remember that, that Cuba was a very important cultural player in terms of producing, um, television and advertisements for the Americas before the revolution. So, so that many of these Cuban pioneers were very versed with the idea of a kind of pan-Latinidad mm-hmm. because they were already That idea for American corporate clients that they were, were represented in Cuba but so I highlight like how many of them came to New York with previous contacts or with uh, know-how, and with this idea also, um, you know, that that um, you know I, I talk about how, in contrast to Mexican Americans um, that face incredible discrimination against speaking Spanish in public, for instance, Cubans were exempted from that experience. They came to New York with the idea, the entitlement idea, that you know we should speak Spanish because that's what we that's what we speak, and we should be advertising in Spanish and, mm. um, and selling this idea uh, to corporate America also benefiting from the civil rights struggles you know waged by you know African Americans Puerto Ricans Chicanos um, that also opened up a space in corporate America for all of a sudden you know to have corporate accounts and clients and people interested in you know ethnic consumers you know so they also benefited from that you know not only from the previous contacts but also the political moment um, um, where all of a sudden this, there was a, a political imperative, like, right, that they also um, played into, you know, uh, this idea that you know many of them also saw themselves as part of that like, movement, you know, well we were defending, you know, latinas, latinos, and Hispanics, you know, by by claiming our equal space on the table. Um, um, let me think. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so that was that was um, that that's really key because you know I talk about. The kind of ironies then, you know, that, that, that were central foundation of this industry because for years and, you know, arguably today, you know, remains very controlled by, you know, Latin American, you know, first generation migrants you know people with very lot of connections with global advertising industries in you know now now increasingly from Latin America mexico um so you have this kind of importation of creative talent you know that continues at pace and I talk about this ethnic division of cultural labor a, a linguistic division of labor that was um that was consolidated by the fact that the industry was so centralized and organized around Spanish dominance and mm-hmm. the fact that you know we Address Hispanic language consumers. This, um, so so that that's one of the issues that I that I highlight is how that the centrality of this idea of a Spanish language, even Hispanic marketing, right? And I mean that that the word Hispanic marketing is predicated on the notion that Spanish language becomes a dominant rationale for the spending, the authenticity, and the signification right. And the existence of this industry, you know, um, and 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 this was, you know, that this had a lot of currency, you know. Still today, this idea has a lot of currency, which is kind of unbelievable, you know, given that you know the, the, the generations of bilingual and English dominant Latinos, you know, right. there's still this idea that predominates today that you know when you're talking about. You know, Latino consumers. You have to somehow include Spanish language because even if they speak it, Spanish, you know, is what most people. They're emotionally connected to Spanish, even if they don't speak it. So it it, it continues to uh, to feed this this industry as kind of Spanish language base that then, con, you know, uh, facilitates the importation of content, importation of talent. You know, and one of the main points that I argue in the book is how this industry has ironic contributed to making Latino second-class mm-hmm. second citizens twice. You know, because they're not included in the mainstream media, but then they're also not included in the media that's supposed to represent them, because it's so narrowly defined around Spanish language. You know, that it in, that 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 it reproduces hierarchies around which, which constituencies can be represented, but also which, which workers, which creative workers, can get jobs. You
2: know, right,
1: right. and. and and who cannot get jobs in that industry? Uh, I mean, things have changed a little bit there, but that remain that has remained a big one of the big ideas of this I, that Hispanic marketing continues to continues to revolve around.
0: Uh, yes, um, and I I think that um, what what is also interesting is the implications behind that if we decouple. You know the Spanish language from um, the basis of you know the most basic or foundational starting point of what identifies Latino uh, or Hispanic culture. Where then uh, you know I mean that that just causes a whole bunch of questions, and I, I think it's it really is decentering in 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 the public in mindset and even in mine. You know as a as a as an academic, one that has spoken with a, a number of you know, authors in you know this genre um, and touched on the conversations as to what identifies, um, you know, Latino culture and identity. And and Spanish is the Spanish language is pretty much always, you know, up there, you know, if not number one, number two. It's one of the the, the primary uh, assumptions that that we uh, associate, I think, with with such a thing as, you know, this pan-ethnic, this idea of of a pan-ethnic identity or culture. Yeah.
1: And that's also said by the um, language television networks, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really important that, you know, unlike African-Americans, Asian-American, other ethnic groups you know, racial ethnic groups in this country Latinos from early on, you know, had Spanish Univision and Telemundo you know, which were nationwide TV, you know, media that were crafting that idea, you know of the United, you know, Hispanidad you know, and that's really powerful when you think about, you know, and really strengthen this industry, you know because these Hispanic marketers, you know could say, you know, listen, you know, you have to advertise to Latinos, and they had a space where Put those advertisements, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They, and they had the muscle of Univision, which became really powerful in uh, fueling research and kind of homogenizing how the market would be sold, right?
2: Um,
1: and, and 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 the parameters, you know. And, the, and I remember when I was interviewing people, everybody, of course, knew that that half of that was a joke. I mean, like, of course, most of the a lot of the you know Hispanic marketers were very savvy, were very bilingual, you know. Right. I, and to me, it was fascinating how I'm like I'm for goodness sake your children are speaking in you know in dominant, you know, and I'm like, oh, come on, who, who you know, like it was such a biggest joke, you know. To mm-hmm. me it's like I still laugh about it, you know. But it but it's also fed by the fact that you have this powerful media, but also you you know, it's fed by the ignorance of corporate America, you know, and mm-hmm. one of the you know, I was I think one of the most you know, there's some, some funny parts in Latino things, you know, it's like all these stories that people told me of how of the ignorance of corporate American and, and that allowed them to get away with you know with a lot, you know.
2: Right. Because
1: time when you could say, you know, I'm I'm Latino, um, I'm Hispanic and you know, all Hispanics and leave it at that. Um and um, and, and also corporate American, you know, like the fact that you had a justifiable essentially it's authentic um, pitch, right? Because, you know, why should they advertise to a community that they could reach through their advertisements, you know? And here is, you know, a community that says, No, you need to advertise them in Spanish because, you know, and, and you know, that, that really justified the the fact that you, you you had you had an authentic essentializing object object, right? Mm-hmm. That's that could be advertised, that could be that could be that you could speak to, right, if you speak through them. Um, so so in a way, everybody's on the joke and continues to be in the joke You know? um, by the way, it's interesting that um, just this past year, Univision just inaugurated Flama, which is the first English language video portal um, for millennials just in English. Which mm. an
2: interesting mm-hmm.
1: I love- um, again, it's not that this media um, were ignorant about English language. It's just that this group was not as profitable. You know, you couldn't sell them as easily to corporate America. Right. Um, you. As you said, you know, like, how do you begin to... to to evoke all these other aspects of what makes Latinos Latinos, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, however, beyond language, there were other myths, and I, I think I talk about, you know, the nostalgia, you know, the, you know,
2: the,
1: the traditional Latino, you know, the conservative Latino, you know. There was all these myths that also are bundled with this idea of the first. You know that are very much about like first immigrant. You know right. that were packaged at the time. That that also fed into you know the family oriented, conservative, brand loyal Latino. You know, right. um, which is you know very marketable, far more marketable. You know than 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 it is um, you know to 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 imagine. Um, I don't know second generation or Latinos, for instance, um, that would would be we're not we're wa- not watching these
0: channels, right? And we're we're starting to get to exactly where I wanted to go next was the the um, you know the the underlying ideas, um, behavioral assumptions and stereotypes, if you will, that that undergird the definition uh, you know of marketing to a Latino um, you know public, and and so those stereotypes are you've mentioned some of them things like uh people that are you know tradi- traditional right? conservative catholic uh, right we've mentioned spanish language already family oriented immigrant background all of these are are powerful notions that have uh, shaped uh the representation of latinos in um you know, from the those Hispanic advertisers that are you know selling this idea to corporate America that there's there's something uh, that exists that would be a, a defined market, right? You mentioned that there's this desire to find a a nation within the nation, as you will, something that they can market specifically to, right?
1: Ah. Uh-huh. No, that's probably the nation within the nation, you know, the idea of a separate culture from the United States was so central in the you know, the viability of a unique market that can be contained and separated from the mainstream, you know. Um, And, you know, it's just so problematic, too, because, you know, it lessens the total reality of, you know, biculturalism, acculturation, especially in the area of language, but, but um but, but again, you know yeah, this idea was was really really powerful, you know, um you know, the idea of safe, authentic, ready market um um and then within this nation, within the nation, you know, you have this these ideas of you know how do you represent it visibly uh, because it's our you know visual media
2: right?
1: well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ends up um you know representations you know are really problematic, you know. Um, We're still talking about the white, white world of Hispanic media, you know, because uh, you have in the trope of, you know, the the Latin look, you know, you know, uh, models couldn't be too white, but also not too dark. You know, you're not going to see Afro-Latinos, you know, in Spanish language television because, oh, my God, they could be confused for African-Americans and we're selling Latinos, right? You have, you know. You Afro Latinos maybe are, are either personalities like Celia Cruz, you know, people representing themselves but not representing Latinos. You know, you don't see Indo Latinos unless it's for liability lawyers, you know, those kinds of more, um, but with aspirational images for aspirational goods, you know, you have this, you know, Latin look that became so, um, you know, so hegemonic, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and then you have this idea, you know, the world is not quite Spanish, right? The idea that there is the Spanish that is more standardized and more representative of, you know, mm-hmm. that consolidation, you know, so, you know, as a nation within a nation that have their own language or own ideas or own look. Um, which, you know, is of course embedded in those racial ideologies, too, because what we see is that, you know, we have the Mexican, more Chilango, more Diaz, you know, Spanish, because it's the one that, that people are more likely to accept as standardized because of the heavy weight of the Mexican telenovelas dominating. So, you, you don't see Dominican, Caribbean, Puerto Rican, Spanish ever being seen as, you know, as a standard. Right. Um, so you have this kind of racial um, linguistic also hierarchies about which accents are supposedly more or less representative of the larger constituency. Um, but, and, then, and then along with this idea, you know, all these others around, you know, the emotional Latino, you know, the Latino that is always, you know, um, that cares about their family uh, and all the tropes, you know. And, and when I was doing the, there's a lot of examples of the type of tropes you know, a lot of the abuelitas, you know, the families, the 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 that that really revolve around it kind of ethos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, distinguish Latinos um, that I, I kind of, you know, what I what I try to do is like what what's at stake with this representation, you know, because when I was writing in the book and we still have this debate about, you know, positive stereotypes, right? Um, right. positive or negative stereotypes and this is an industry that positions itself as correcting stereotypes, right? Like mm-hmm. please, off because we know the consumers and we're not going to do blunders. We're not going to rely on stereotypes. We really know the right way to reach that. I mean, that's the, that's their pitch to corporate America. But then what you, what you see in these so-called positive stereotypes, you know, are more, even more problematic perhaps than negative stereotypes, you know, because they're as equally loaded in, you know, in racial ideologies and, and in inequalities of power. And so you have this, you know, Compensating, you know, like the the good family, you know, so you present these, you know, Latinos as this squeaky clean, you know, and in fact, Latinos spinning, which was, you know, the book after a couple of books later, really, I wanted to analyze that more, you know, this kind of the politics of overcompensating by highlighting, you know, this more sanitized, quick, clean, white looking Latinos as the as the representation of that nation within the nation that hurts. Mm-hmm. But more too, you know, because it presents as a classic constituency, you know, aligned with, you know, conservative values. Right. It ignores the history of Latinos as, you know, in this country, you know, for like generations, always presents as like forever immigrants, you know, like needy mm-hmm. of, you know, needy of our own media. And it creates a kind of segregationist view that, you know, corporate clients love because, you know, they're safe. Contained, but it's not real, and it hurts us in so many ways that um, um, that I, I, I think need to be uh, always problematized.
0: And I think that's a great connection that you you bring out in, in uh, you know in the book. Uh, you really you discuss this. Uh, what we're talking about here is the sanitization, right? And I think that's how, that's how you uh, depict it in the book, and that's the term you use. Yeah, but a sanitization of Latino identity and culture that that goes according to these hierarchies of race and culture. And and nationality, and the underlying, you know, the the driving force there is this, um, this desire to create the notion again of a market that is safe. And by safe, we're, you know, you point out uh, someone that's, you know, right, consumer-minded, brand loyal, uh, also someone that can, you know, a group that can be digested themselves and 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 seen as non-threatening by by corporate America, right? Mm
1: absolutely this idea yeah, don't don't panic you know don't panic we are we are we're we're more americans than the americans you know <laughs> like like later on you know many people you know but this idea that you know we you know yeah we're many and you know we're all over the place, but you know we're in fact going to not threaten America but renew it along the values that it that it cherishes, you know, which are these conservative values. You know, we're the ones who're going to be, you know, that are 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 silly. It's just you know like you know it's just ridiculous. And don't get me started because you know. I mean, you see, I think you wanted to talk about Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and all these characters, you know, and why. They've managed to capture the imagination, you know, of so many voters, you know, many of them mm-hmm. not Latino, by the way. It's exactly because of that, you know. I mean, what's Latino about Ted Cruz and Mario and Marco Rubio? You know, they have this Cuban immigrant story, you know, that, that they present as, you know, bootstrap story, which is not true because, you know, um, we have to understand the ways in which Cubans, you know, were benefited from U.S. foreign policy and immigration exactly. policy. Of that gets discussed, you know. Right. So they're that they is, you know, squeaky clean, very white light skin, so pale that you could even see through their faces, you know? And and you know, with and and it's just um anyways don't get me started on that one too.
0: Well we're going to come but. back to that one but <laughs> cuz I I definitely want oh, I think no. it's so okay. prescient to talk about that but again um before that I, I wanted to talk we, we were talking about again the way Latino culture is just you know flattened and sanitized um so what about the role of market research right I mean there is this whole idea that uh, you know corporate America is based on all these market studies, and and you know, thereby there's there's some type of scientific component to why they are doing what they're doing. But you actually state that that, that that's not the case, or that at least the the underlying uh, you know stereotypes and behavioral ideas of you know what. Consists of being Hispanic or Latino, which were established, you know, decades ago. That those actually are are, are you know supported by this so-called uh, you know the, the, any type of scientific analysis or research that's that's done. Can you talk about that a bit? Because I think that's that's I think really fascinating. How you know you would think again that that research itself could. Help to undermine, you know, those type of stereotypes that that drive uh, the main ideas behind who they're marketing to and how these representations are made. Um, but it's it's really it's it's still those those uh, right these stereotypes that that have been underlying the market uh, from the beginning.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if, I, if I'm going to tell you one big takeaway that I think um, I would like to learn more about, and I'm surprised no one has picked up picked it up. And, I mean, there's a couple of research that, you know, some students, you know, I'm thinking of Michael Rodriguez, that in you know, a PhD student is looking at pollsters, and, you know, I have a grad student here, Marcel Salas, that is looking at, um, you know, uh, researcher um, research in the creation of total market, you know, the new kind of uh, way in which ethno-ethic um, ethno, ethno. So, marketing is leading to that. That's another conversation but um, I was so surprised because you know when I was writing the book m- research was kind of in you know in baby steps right mm-hmm. and it was an area of great uh, anxiety because people wonder oh my god if we have do research and, and the research begins to, to really highlight the complexity of this constituency how are we going to manage it how are we going to be able to sustain the accuracy and profitability of the market that you know when, when, when the research shows that well, it's more complex than that right Mm-hmm. So what's fascinating, you know, and 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 I'm i fascinating, you know, in 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 exploring, you know, the 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 makings of research and the politicization of research and the political economy of research, you know, like and how research is very much a social construction. You know, we give so much privacy into numbers, right? And you know. One of the marketers told me, "You know, figures lie and liars figure." You know, how <laughs> um, so many different ways in which you can do the research, and oftentimes because a lot of this marketing research is proprietary, that means mm-hmm. that it's corporate-owned and that they'll show you the results, but they'll never tell you how they got those results, the methodology, right. and how the sample were, was was um, you know um, was surveyed or anything. Right. So it's cool problematic because you basically, you know, you have a whole, um, you know, and research is becoming more and more powerful because exactly it's so easy to manipulate and yet provide this kind of scientific idea of, of authenticity, rigor and truth, right. you know. Um, but this is not only in marketing, it affects both cultures, you know, it affects politics. It's become, you know, research has become, you know, the figure that, you know, where Latinos are. Um, are most you know manipulated, you know? Mm-hmm. But you know, you could really say anything about Latinos because you know, as I remember interviewing somebody at the Pew Hispanic Center, and you know, who mm-hmm. basically admitted, listen, you could say anything about Latinos because right. Latinos are the number are the fastest growing. Um, so many of us that you could say that Latinos are the are rising in home ownership, are rising in coke drinking, or rising on anything because they're always rising. There's too many of us, you know. <laughs> the number of like the abundancy and the boosterism story in so many different ways doesn't matter the numbers but that doesn't make it any 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 relevant, you know any more truth than anything else right oh, yeah. um, but then that's another conversation that yeah. So I, I highlight how research, in fact, has become, it needs to be probed um, and the racial politics behind the research. You know, right. uh, more than ever, more than ever today, especially in this neoliberal climate where we tend to value numbers and statistics and, um, and and more than anything.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very important because there there is the the broader popular acceptance that. Um, Although people understand it's more complicated, there's a lot of power to the phrase, uh, that numbers don't lie, right? And, and that's actually not the case, that they, they, they are, they may not, numbers may not lie, but, but, People misrepresent, or at least there are underlying assumptions that delineate, right? That form the boundaries of how a study begins, right? Where the, where the research actually begins, right? Uh, and that's what you, you point to. And those are the holes that, that you poke in this, this idea of, uh, scientific market research is that people, you know, they bring to a scientific, so-called scientific study, right? A, you know, underlying assumptions that shape where the, you know, who they're going to target, what they're going to focus on, what are the questions going to be asked, what are the, you know, if there are five or six, you know, variables, what those variables are, right? And that automatically, um, you know, constrains, right, other possibilities and, and limits other possibilities, right?
2: The easiest
1: example is you only sample Spanish dominant Latinos, you're mm-hmm. going to find that, you know, Univision and Telemundo are the number one T V station station for all Latinos. Exactly. But you sample Spanish language Latinos, you know. So that's you know, there's so many so many cases like that, you know, um, where, you know, you have the results represented as all Latinos, yet the sample is either, you know, regionally bounded or linguistically bounded or, you know, there's matters of class. I mean, there's so many ways in which you could cut the pie when Latinos are concerned to get what you want. Um,
0: in terms of the results and what you're trying to sell and market mhm mhm and there's um so there's two parts to um you know the marketing and, and making of you know latinos there's and and how advertisers try to reach them right there's um both the, the, the attempt to reach that market that they've defined as Latino and Hispanic. And at the same time, you know, those, um, those representations expend, extend beyond that group, right? And present images of Latinos and culture to, you know, a non-Hispanic audience. So one thing that um, that I'm interested in and the, the book talks about is the actual role of Spanish language programming on, you know, t- the TV networks we've mentioned, uh, Univision and Telemundo. Um, so I want you to talk a bit about to whom, that is like what people and to what extent do these shows or have they influenced, right, the notions of Latino identity and culture for that target market group, for Latinos themselves, right? Yeah. Um, uh- yeah.
1: No. I mean, one of the uh, most incredible ironies that I still don't understand is is how we have a Hispanic, a vibrant Hispanic marketing industry that sells itself on the basis of targeting U.S. born Latinos. You know, the idea is that you can't just translate an ad from English, nor can you just import an ad from Mexico and pretend to reach U.S. consumers. That there's something different about U.S. Latinos, right? Mm-hmm. An industry that believes that at the same time that continues to, you know, import, you know, like place the apps in a media environment that is dominated by imported programming. And there's an idea that, well, no, it's things are different now because there's a lot of U.S.-based productions, you know, in Miami, and that is true. But oftentimes they are, you know, with imported actors and actresses and talent, you know,
2: because... Right.
1: It's because Within this media, a medium of, of Spanish language, right, that limits the represent, you know, limits the, the content, you know? So, you have now that Spanish language television has become more diverse. You have Colombian productions, for instance, you know, have productions from other parts of Latin America, but you still have that kind of imported content. And then the ads, right? So it doesn't kind of make sense sometimes, like how could a corporate America be so blinded, you know, that they, you know? that they buy both, you know... But, um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, what, what's fascinating and what I've seen is that, you know, there's incredible, there's been a lot of criticism about, you know, this, the wide world of Spanish language television, you know, this past couple of years, you know, there's been incredible backlash, you know, when you may recall that this debate when the Univision anchor was um, the first time, because, you know, they do this all the time, you know, that they make fun, they have all this, you know, racial insensitive language and representations and, you know, uh, the whole brouhaha over Michelle Obama being compared to an, a Planet of the Apes character. Mm-hmm. I think that was like two years ago. That led to the, to, you know, the, the firing of this, of this anchor. I mean, that was kind of huge, you know? But that was because people are saying it's, it's enough. You know, uh, we can put up with this. You know, um, and there's now, I believe, in the, the Association of Hispanic Journalists, Hispanic Journalists has a has a task force to look at Hispanic media more carefully. Um, uh, but but this this backlash also, I think, is is you know has some historic components because you know there's now a lot of you know Afro Latinos, you know, and you mm-hmm. know indigenous movements, you know, throughout the Americas that are also criticizing the the white Face of their televisions, you know, the white productions and the use of blackface in Latin America. I mean, it's kind of scandalous, but there's so many comedians, you know, in Latin America that, you know, that still don blackface. And, and there's, I think that there's a renewed, and I, and I, and I speak about this because given that there, a lot of the content of the Spanish television in the United States is, is important, right? There are implications, there are historic implications when we begin to talk about, when we begin to challenge this media to be um to 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 step up, you know, and 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 and, and, and at all levels, you know. So mm-hmm. um so I'm hopeful of the moment, you know, that I think people are becoming more sensitized. Um people are raving about the new Celia Cruz Telenovela which I've just seen glimpses of. So that's kind of a major thing too, you know. Um, you know, a black woman and, you know, uh, Cuban American, that's that's an incredible story, you know, that, that you know, we have so many stories that could be that could be told in this medium and um, not an excuse to be um, to be uh, to be uh, trafficking on on all on stereotypes. I don't mm-hmm. know if this answers is- but but I think that if you know if you're asking me what do people see and what do they learn about Latinos when they turn television, it's still very unfortunate. I mean, thank goodness Don Francisco is out of the picture, you know. <laughs> but, but you have all these you know tropicalizing stereotypes right. that we feed our community, you know, of like you know ladies in bikini and you know and and um, and and you know wide blown. You know, you would think that Latinos are whiter than Scandinavians, right. you know. Right. You were just watch television and I mean and I I mean I I think that's just that's just unacceptable you know right. and I think that there's a lot of groups and uh, social activists on the ground that have been saying so for years and I think that there some of them are being finally being heard um, and then and, and, we need to we need to continue the pressure you know mm-hmm. uh, because a lot remains to be done
0: and indeed, and that's on the Spanish language side. And, um, I, 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 know the, the book doesn't get too much into this, but I'd invite you to, to comment on it. Um, what about how this, these representations play out in English language programming? Cause it seems to me, just as I start to think of shows off the top of my head, uh, the George Lopez show, uh, recently, unfortunately, they recently canceled a Cristela uh, Alonso show. Um, and then, you know, there are other, uh, Latina, uh, Usually it's generally Latino, but Latinos and Latinas that are in, um, you know, other English language programming. Uh, so, And it seems to me that on the English language side, um, the shows tend to push the Mexican component of uh, Latino identity and, and culture. Uh, but that's just things I'm thinking about off the top of my head. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe some of the the, the differences, both the similarities and the differences you've seen between the representations of Latinos and in, you know, English language programming compared to that of, of Spanish language.
1: Yeah, no, and, and you have Jane the Virgin, you know, which
0: is right, an yeah. mm-hmm.
1: example that you know, uh, breaking boundaries. Um, but no, I mean, um, the, the thing with uh, time, time TV is, you know, I always get so disheartened, you know, because, yeah, we're seeing shows like Jane the Virgin and a couple other sprinkled characters, and But that's so little, right? I mean, I'm sure that you've seen this report um, by uh, sponsored by the National Association of Latino Independent Producers that was published, I think, three years ago, perhaps, um, titled The Latino Media Gap. And one of the points that they highlight is that um, there's a huge gap in the representation of Latinos in primetime television, both in front and behind the camera, because this is also important. Talk about we tend to think about in terms of like do we see Latinos in you know in in television right, right. and important conversation is are there more Latino producers, directors, camera people you know those are huge jobs you know. But, but this report show that, you know, uh, this, you know, we have Latinos growing in consumer power and growing in size so that we could now claim 17% of the U.S. population is Latino. Um, yet relative to these numbers, the representation of Latino in, in the media is like, You know, one percent, two percent, three percent. Claiming in the report that the Latinos had more prime time coverage in the '60s, in the '50s and the '60s, than relative to the numbers than they do today. Right. I think it's important. um, This is an important report that it puts numbers. You know, we tend to think we see a couple more shows, but you know, relative to the size of the Latino community, you know, Mm -hmm. we are not. You know, we get we're getting peanuts. You know, and it's important. That we don't let any, you know, uh, Hollywood or any you know anybody out there uh, be misguided because they because you know they see game the Virgin and they think that Latinos you know, are taking over the television. You know, it's like oh my God, no, you know, like people of color, you know, and that's like ridiculous. You know, we need to be, you know, we need to be 17 percent of all characters. You know, mm-hmm. for more. Mm-hmm. You know? Same with African Americans and people of color. You know, we tend to think that because we have one or two or three shows that are. That have, finally, we have a black lead, you know, mm-hmm. we've been Black lead in 30 years, and people were like, oh, my God, now they're going to take jobs from white actresses. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness, first black female lead in 30 years, give me a freaking break, you know? Yeah. Well, we of seeing people in co- of color in the television, and when we do, they're taking over the world. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have naturalized this, you know, white, white 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 box that only white people should come out of it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that answers your question, but you know, I um, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not very optimistic in anything I see, particularly because you know um, my concern has always been to not only talk about representation. One of the big points that sometimes get lost that gets lost in Latinos Inc. is this critique to the politics of representation right. because, you know, we tend to think that the way we address negative images is through positive images, exactly. right? Uh-huh. So we need uh-huh. ridiculous because those politics of representation do nothing as long as you have the media control, the ownership in white hands
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you have, you know, where Latinos are just consumers and not stakeholders, you know, mm-hmm media that is targeted to them so we need to change the conversation so that when we talk about media equity we're not only talking about are we seeing ourselves in television but also are we getting the jobs, are we getting the paychecks, are we getting to vote in the Oscars deals, you know, are we getting the positions of power, are we getting, you know, ownership really, you know, Mm -hmm. because we talk about jobs and equity, we're talking about the Latinization of the entire media industry and sadly what sometimes research shows is that you see more images than you actually see people, you know, our are, are involvement in, in, in the profit-making decisions, and then that wouldn't be any good. You know, I don't want to see a television where you see more people of color, but it's white people who are profiting from all those images. You know, that's not good. That right. doesn't make me happy. That's not, that's not media equity in terms of people of color. <laughs>
0: Yes, and this this notion of a uh, you know equity is is so important, and it 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 gets us back to what started to get our conversation heated up uh, earlier. Um, but it's it's the point that you bring out in the the new preface to to the book. Uh, you mentioned this you know the, the lack of uh, minority control and ownership of the media, uh, Latinos' general inferiority in the eyes of corporate America, the class and racial disjunctions that exist between producers and consumers. So all of that, as you pointed out, that that have actually worsened since the book was published which again it you know, is was published in 2001 or now in 2000 you know 15 on the verge of 2016 uh so you know an important uh, you know Good. discussion that you bring about is this disjuncture between the assumptions that increasing representations or visibility of latinos whether <laughs> you know, they're white Latinos on Spanish language programming, or brown Latinos, or you know, on English language programming. That just that that visibility and somehow is going to translate to uh political power and uh, representation and power. But but that actually isn't the case. Um uh, I'm sure there'd be plenty of those would be willing to push back on this by saying, as we mentioned earlier, well, we have two you know Latinos supposedly in the. Republican um, you know race uh, for the presidential uh, ticket uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio um, and so some would use that uh, as fodder to say well look you know uh, Latinos are making it you know they'd use that they'd jump on that booster narrative uh, and say uh, you know political power is rising in that you have these two Latinos that are um, competing for the uh, most elitist of positions right um, you, you could you speak on that for a bit?
1: <laughs> well, there's so much there, right? But but yeah, this this idea that you could single one Latino, uh, <laughs> one la, one third, you know, say oh the Latino that made it. Um, in this case, we have you know Ted Ted um, and Michael Rubio. But you know, the same story's been made about you know when Ricky Martin. You know, I mean, you name it, right? You put the Latino there, they've made it. So why can the others make it? Right,
2: right. right.
1: It's it's really um, you know making Latinos complicit with this meritocracy model minority um, myth that we know has never worked for Latinos. You know, it's it's very easy to be bumped from the model minority uh, category. You know, um, I think I mentioned nine eleven as an example of how the boosterism, you know like mm-hmm. went overnight. You know. Um, so, um, so no, I'm I'm very critical of that of that discourse because you know I think that we're too smart to buy into it, and we have nowadays you know so much evidence of how that discourse has never worked. Just like the politics of respectability has not worked with African Americans, you know. Um, so I actually think that you know that I don't think that the that I don't know. I like to be hopeful, and I like to think that the currency of that view is. Kind of um, it's in decline, you know, when you have uh, Donald Trump, you know, um, making it okay to to be to say this kind of anti, you know, nat- nativist and, and immigrant and racist, outright racist mm-hmm. statements, you know, last night when the Latin Grammys, you know, you had mm-hmm. all the artists, you know, don't vote for racist politicians, you know, this kind of unifying, galvanizing space, you know, I think that. What I, what I see here is that, you know, that that myth has so many holes that I don't think it stands anymore, you know. I don't think anybody buys into that myth except Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio himself, you know. Um, But I think that that's a real minority, you know, because even what, you know, and this is something that I did in Latino spin in my own books, and I've, you know, when people either, you know, do research with, you know, light-skinned Latinos in corporate America, you know, they too experience racism and and they could... Uh, take over the mantle of model minority until the cows come home, you know? Mm -hmm. But they're going to, you know, if they speak with an accent, they're going to be, they're going to think that they're, you know, foreigners and they're going to be suspect, you know, what what do you you belong here, they're going to be suspected that they got there because of affirmative action or something else, you
2: know? Exactly. Like,
1: nobody... In this in this context, right, no one is safe. Uh, Latinos are not safe, and I think that it behooves us to kind of engage in the po- in politics of solidarity. Um, that's the only way out, you know, mm-hmm. because the politics mainstreaming and whitewashing and white supremacy have never worked for us, you know, mm-hmm. because some of us claim whiteness, you know, but the majority that whiteness is suspect mm-hmm. and. Um, and that brings us one of the conversation of latinos and, and 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 the whole whiteness you know and how they are um you know the, the intention to kind of like um you know uh, use latinos as the kind of you know scapegoating for reproducing you know racial disc- discourses um um, oh, sorry, David. I'm sorry, and now I'm no, rambling. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, you're about. good.
0: It's uh, that's that's actually. I mean, that point on Latinos and whiteness, which I think is covered maybe a bit more in um, in Latino Spin or, or some of your other write writings. Um, I think is is certainly important because uh, that conversation can be interpreted in, in a number of ways. I think typically the conversations around Latinos and whiteness. Um, revolve around Latinos making claims to whiteness, right? Trying to claim a, a white... Um, I think that again. the
1: Latinos are white, you know, mm-hmm. and how do we account for the white privilege that some of us have,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but
1: also be, be more skeptical about the, his, the historical, you know, the legacy of, you know, and, and create and create alliances that make us advance. You know, the agents that advance the dialogue, not agents that contribute to white supremacy,
2: right? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a conversation, you know, when Latinos are concerned, because Latinos come from all hues. And while Latinos are racialized as a group, we need to really account for colorism and white privilege, right? Right, right. Oftentimes, you know, we don't want to do that. We're rather, oh, we're all Latinos, you know, and And I'm like, no, we also have to be very vigilant about checking in our, you know, racial prejudices and and our entitlements and privileges, and then out of that recognition of spaces that we can really engage in a more fruitful dialogue that it's more, that advances the conversation rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, turns us into peons of, you know, of, of, of white privilege, which is a terrible thing.
0: Right. Right. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, um, you know, well, I thank you for, for speaking and, you know, taking time to, to speak on this book. I know the, the book probably seems, I don't know, like you, you wrote this thing a lifetime ago. We were talking a little bit, uh, before we came on air about that, but, um, I think it's, it's just such an important book because it raises so many concepts that uh, uh, questions about what we take for granted. And it, and a lot of that has to do with the power of, of the media. Although a lot of us like to think that we don't let the media shape our thoughts, uh, just, uh, you know when when i when i grabbed the book uh you know just recently again and looked at it and then and and stared at the title for a while it really made me question um you know the the our notions of you know the, these pan ethnic concepts and um it's not that they don't have usefulness know, which i think is what your book points out to you know a very critical way that they are useful, you know, for building solidarity, right? They are useful in a number of ways that can actually be empowering and strengthening, um, as opposed to uh, a lot of what we get, though, in the media is really things that are produced for, you know, corporate consumption or, you know, really the benefit of a, a very small few. Is that right?
2: Yeah,
1: with Latinos income, I don't want to imply that Latinos are an invention, that they don't exist, that they're a manufacturer of this industry, far from it. There's a history, there's a social movement feeding this this identity. Um, I wanted to question the uh, incredible power that this industry has in defining the conversation of Latinidad and why that is, which, of course, is the result of the marginality of this group, the fact that Latinos, we don't have, Stakeholders and the same visibility and political power in other institutions in society, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, politics or academia or corporate America or any other spaces. So it leaves it this industry, Hispanic marketing, as the one brokers of Latinidad that become visible so that whenever there is, we need to find an example of Latino coming of age, right? Mm-hmm. We go. To, you know, Hispanic marketing products, right? We go to we go to, to this space to find it. Um and I think the best example of that was last, last week's the the very unfortunate HBO documentary, The Latino Explosion, which I was you know, I died. I'm like I couldn't watch it just the title. <laughs> no?
2: uh-huh.
1: It means but if, when you look at the at the documentaries, you know it's just you know in whole, the whole the whole argument, the good old argument, or the Columbian argument, the pure come Latinos, and you know the examples of the coming of Asians, you know the, the Cuban Miami sound machine, you know, act you know musicians and the sprinkle of politicians, but that's all we have, right? Right. So, it's important that we question Hispanic marketing and the marketing um, industry as a space that 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 frames the conversation. But it's that's also part of the marginality of Latinos, and we shouldn't celebrate it, but we should question it.
0: Right, right. That's that's a great point. And uh, I wasn't aware of that uh, documentary that you said HBO is where it came out.
1: It's called the Latino Explosion. Okay. I know, and then, and then you wonder, you know, this is the 21st century, exactly. and we still have corporate American HBO, I mean, you're talking about representation in mainstream America, mm-hmm. that are, like, passing and giving money and funding projects like that, mm-hmm. I
2: mean, mm-hmm.
1: as well, just be, you know, being back in, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just, when you see that, then you realize how really far behind we are today, and all the work we need to do.
2: Right. I
1: agree. No, if, I mean, if you want to get depressed, watch it. Otherwise... Keep... <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, maybe. I, I think I'm going to have to force myself and torture myself to sit through it. But uh, I don't know. I'll probably find a time when I'm maybe I'm more upbeat.
1: <laughs> I, have to say, I couldn't watch it. I just saw the whole... The whole I mean, if you look at the one-minute trailer, you kind of get the... You know, it, it's the same kind of regurgitated images. Then in mm-hmm. fact, that... That, that, that made me write Latinos Inc. Um, years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. with that historism around the Latin explosion, it's kind of the same idea regurgitated today in the 21st century.
0: Gotcha, right. Well, I wanted to, uh, before we close up, I wanted to give you some time to talk a bit about what you're working on now.
1: Yes, uh, I'm so happy. I've, I've actually just turned in this book on shopping malls in Latin America. Mm. And um, I had a lot of fun writing it. And in fact, I think it's the book that most closely resembles what I kind of did in Latinos, Inc., in that, you know, then I was immersed myself in the industry of, you know, Hispanic marketers. And for this new book, I entered the world of, you know, shopping mall developers. You know, there's, you know, mm-hmm. the international... Shopping malls has a vibrant um, regional compass in Latin America. There's a lot of developers. I even took a course, uh, you know, in Mexico. They have a University of Shopping Malls oh, wow. um, organized by the International Council of Shopping Malls. I mean, it's unbelievable. But it's really about the the way in which the structures are reshaping both the class and spatial politics um, in Latin America. Um, and I, I was fascinated um, by this industry and how it works, how it's and and, 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 and its effects. Right in in a lot of the research is in Bogota, Colombia, but also I have a lot of comparative perspectives um from, from the area. I'm very excited about it. It comes out in February um, with U C
0: Press. Oh great. I'll be looking forward to it. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thanks again so much for taking time, uh, to come and, and talk about what is truly, I think, is be, you know, is a, 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 it's not old enough to be a classic, but it's definitely one of the key pieces of literature, I think, uh, in scholarship that, that most of us are introduced to, whether we are studying Latino studies or media studies or, you know, cultural studies. Uh, it's just, um, you know, it, it's had a, a very, I think, enduring role. And the, you know, just the fact that it was re-released, uh, you know, just to A few years ago by UC Press, uh, you know, speaks to that. So, thanks again for your your time, Arlene, and for for coming on uh, to New Books and Latino Studies.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun speaking with you today.
0: Same here. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to New Books and Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and I hope you have enjoyed my conversation today with Arlene Davila, author of Latinos Inc., The Marketing and Making of a People published by the University of California Press in 2001 and re-released in an updated edition in 2012. If you'd like to get a copy of Dr. Davila's book, I encourage you to do so by following the link on our New Books in Latino Studies page, which will take you to Amazon. Also, if you'd like to contact us, please send us an email at newbooksinlatinostudies at gmail.com or feel free to reach out to us on social media through Facebook or Twitter. Thank you.